Once again, uh, good morning. It is really good to be with you, uh, to be with you all, and to worship with you today. Please turn with me to Genesis chapter 18. And we're going to read the first 15 verses. So that's Genesis chapter 18, verses 1 to 15. And the Lord appeared to him, that is Abraham, by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick, three sears of fine flour knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old. They were advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed pair a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh for she was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. Well, amen, these are the words of God. In many parts of, uh, of life, you need to get a few uh, fundamental things into you if you want to succeed. Uh, you need to get a few fundamental truths under your skin. Uh, so a few examples, uh, simple ones from everyday life. If you want to win a game of chess, Well, you need to know not to let your king get captured. It's that simple. It's fundamental, but if you don't know it, you're not going to last very long. Or if you want to bake a cake, uh, you need to know how to turn the oven on. You won't get very far otherwise. If you want to be financially stable, you need to know the fundamental rule. You only get to spend the money that you get in. Now, our passage this morning, it confronts us with one of these essential truths, something that we've heard many times, I'm sure, but something we need to let get right under our skin if we are going to follow Jesus Christ faithfully. If you want to be a faithful Christian, then this simple truth needs to get into the center of your being. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. 
Now, before we get to that, let's take a, a little uh, scenic drive through this passage and notice some of the big landmarks on the way. Abraham is sat in the shade, and it's the hottest part of the day. Uh, that's, the, that's the time of day when we Brits would go out and sunbathe, but uh, every sane Middle Eastern person would do exactly what Abraham is doing, and that is sitting in the shade doing very, very little. At that moment, he looks up and he sees three men approaching. And immediately he runs to meet them, running in the heat of the day, mind you. He offers them food and water, and he offers them the chance to rest from their journey. We can't say for sure whether uh, Abraham knew who these men were or not immediately, but it is clear very, very quickly that these visitors are not your standard dusty Middle Eastern travelers. In fact, God himself in some way is in front of Abraham. And that brings him to his knees. Look at what he says in verse three. He says, if I have found favor with you, stay. Let me give you a bit of bread to eat. Now, if we had uh, unlimited time here, there'll be uh, lots to say uh, about this, uh, about Abraham's hospitality here, um, about how enthusiastic he is to welcome these men, to refresh them from their journey, uh, to honor them, even though they are strangers to him. Or about how he gives them uh, so much, so generously. Notice uh, he he starts by offering them a a bit of bread, but he ends up giving them bread made with about four kilograms worth of flour. Um, One of the best whole calves he has, uh, curds and milk. Uh, This is not uh, a cup of tea and a digestive biscuit. Uh, This is more than that. Uh, We could say things about how his household is ordered so that all play their part to help him honor these uh, guests. Other parts of the Bible use this story to do that. Uh, So we could look at this story and learn things about that. Uh, One landmark that uh, we must stop and look at as we're driving through this passage is the remarkable friendship between God and Abraham here. Abraham says, if I have found favor, stay and eat. And God says, go, prepare the food. In other words, you have my favor. We're friends. Now make no mistake, they're not equals. They're far from equals, but they are friends. And God eating with man here is really significant. And that's a theme that shows up throughout the Bible, uh, that shows the depth of relationship between God and between those who are his. Uh, that's a theme that leads all the way through the Bible, right up to, uh, to the upper room in Jerusalem and onwards, onwards to the communion table that we uh, share in as Christians. Uh, these days. But for the bulk of our time together, I want to focus on this conversation at the end of this passage. The conversation between God and Abraham and Sarah. Because this short conversation is a conversation that will put courage in our spines to live as God's people in a world that hates God. Now, I don't know how well you know the book of Genesis uh, as a whole. Uh, The passage just before this one is a pretty monumental uh, passage. In it, God repeated uh, a promise to Abraham that he's given before, that Abraham was going to have a son. And in the passage before this one, uh, there's a particular uh, key nuance uh, to God's declaration to Abraham. Uh, The son would be the son of Sarah, his wife, as well. Now, to us, that might seem like it goes without saying, Um, 
But remember, all of this is happening on the back of a, uh, a scheme for Abraham to have a child with another woman, with Hagar, with the servant of Sarah. But no, Sarah is the one who will bear the promised child. She would be the mother of God's people just as much as Abraham would be their father. And in this passage, God essentially repeats that same promise, um, perhaps so that Sarah herself can hear it. Uh, Sarah, you will have a son. In fact, in one year's time, that son will already be born. The wait has been long, but the time is finally here. But notice something in these verses. Notice how fixated they are on just how old Abraham is, on just how old Sarah is. Never mention a woman's age. Well, Moses didn't get that. He ignored that when he wrote this down. It's all over the place. Verse 11, Sarah and Abraham were old. They were advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. That's, uh, that's Bible code for she's past menopause. And look at Sarah's own assessment of it in verse 12. She's worn out and her Lord is old. She knows it. She feels it. She knows how old and how barren she is, how spent she is. The long years of her life are nearly over. The amount that she's been given is nearly gone. And so the whole overwhelming force of impossibility is laid out before us here. Expecting Sarah to have a child at this stage is a little bit like expecting a chicken to hatch from an egg when you've already scrambled it. It's not happening. It is not just unlikely that she'll have a child. It is totally impossible, not a chance. Now, Abraham and, uh, and God, they're talking outside uh, in the shade of a tree. Sarah is hiding in the tent nearby, listening in, eavesdropping on the conversation. And so when she hears God say that she will have a baby, she laughs. And that's not a happy laugh. That is a bitter laugh. That's the uh, sort of, yeah, right kind of laugh. Pull the other one, God. It is disappointment. It's mockery. After I'm worn out, after my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? Yeah, right. Now she thinks that she's hidden. She thinks she's saying all of this to herself. These are her private thoughts. These are her private mutterings. She's festering by herself in the dark. But she is not hidden because God is there and nothing is hidden from God. Look at what he says in verse 13. Why did Sarah laugh? And so in her secret den of disappointment and incredulity, the spotlight is suddenly shone on Sarah and suddenly shone in particular on what she believes about the God that she claims to follow, the God that she claims to trust. Sarah, is anything too hard for the Lord? That's a very simple question. And I'm sure that Sarah knows the right, the right answer to it. I'm sure we all know the right answer to it. But God's words here, they're aimed at a specific thing. They're aimed at exposing a, a gap between what Sarah says she believes and what she actually believes. Sarah, 
Have you forgotten who your God is? You left the land, you left the gods of your parents behind to follow him with your husband Abraham. And have you forgotten why he was worth your trust in the first place? The gods of your fathers were impotent, they were useless. The true God is not like that. Is there anything that he can't do? Is any word too wonderful for him to say? Sarah, remember what your God has done. Remember who he is. He spoke and the universe was created out of nothing. He speaks and every person comes into existence. He speaks and the earth turns around the sun, the sun spins around the Milky Way, and the galaxy moves on its secret and unknown paths through the depths of the universe, and he knows where to guide it. That is who is stood outside your tent now, Sarah. Sarah, is anything too hard for him? Do you not think a God like that can overcome a little bit of old age, just a you know, few years, really, and bring one human life from an admittedly slightly strange place? Now, make no mistake uh, here, this is a rebuke. She is being told off by God. These are hard words. But what a wonderful rebuke it is. These are hard words, but aimed at creating a soft heart. Sarah, poor old unhappy Sarah, you mock because the long and weary years have flattened you and you have let yourself become cynical and scornful. And so you no longer believe that your God can do very much at all. Sarah, poor old unhappy and faithless Sarah. Well, Sarah, not long, and you will laugh again. But not scornfully this time. Not long, and you will laugh again, but with joy. Because your own baby son sits on your knee. This question was an arrow aimed at the heart of Sarah. And in the same way, it is an arrow aimed at the heart of every one of Sarah's offspring. Uh, remember those words um, of the Apostle Paul. In Galatians chapter 3. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. And so if you're a believer in Jesus Christ here today, uh, then you are a child of Abraham. You are of the offspring uh, of Sarah and Abraham. And so that means that this question here to Sarah, your mother in the faith, is an arrow aimed at your heart as well. Is anything too hard for the Lord? The answer has two letters. I imagine you've heard it many, many times. You've known it from the beginning, in fact, but perhaps you've forgotten. No, nothing is too hard for him. Now, none of this is new for us. None of this is even remotely complicated for us. But it is something we need to hear. We know, don't we, that if God has promised something, he will do it, no matter how impossible it seems. Now, I doubt any of us would dream of denying that, not openly, at least. Well, think of some of God's promises. Let's think of some examples. God has said that as we follow Christ in the power of his spirit, we will progressively grow from one degree of being like Christ to another. You will grow in godliness as you follow Christ. That's one of his promises. Uh, 
Well, how about another one? God has promised that death is not your end, that with him your future is resurrection. It is eternal life in a transformed body of glory forever. Or perhaps a third promise. God has promised that the gospel of his son Jesus Christ will go to every corner of the world and that it will bring the enemies of Christ under the feet of Christ the King. Now, there are many more promises that I'm sure you can think of that God has given to us. Uh, Perhaps you can think of others. Uh, Let's focus on these three examples just for a little bit. How many obstacles to these things can you see? God has promised that you will grow in godliness, in Christ-likeness, as you follow him faithfully. But think about that sin that is still in you. Think about your apathy. Think about your day-to-day blindness uh, to what is even wrong with you. Uh, Think about your, your willing forgetfulness and the range of trials and temptations that are before you uh, as you go to work, uh, as you go to school, every day. There are obstacles in the way of this promise, and many of them seem huge. Or take uh, another one of those promises. God has promised that you will live forever, but there are plenty of things that stand in the way of that. Does your body work better now than it used to? Do your joints work better uh, or worse? How quickly do you heal? It seems like there is no way off this one-way train to the grave. Seems like a big obstacle to that promise. Or God promises that all of his enemies will be put under Christ's feet. And the obstacles to that, they seem all too obvious obvious at the moment. Uh, God's enemies in uh, in the media, in government, in academia, uh, tragically even in the church in many places, they seem to get on all right. Can God get all over all those obstacles? Can he get through all of those enemies? We have extraordinary promises. And yet, as Abraham's children, as Sarah's children, it is easy to feel jaded and bitter and doubtful, just like our mother in the faith. It is easy to start just a casual stroll down the path of unbelief, down to cynicism, down to pessimism, and to a hardened heart to laugh like Sarah scornfully when someone even suggests the idea that God might move and do something. Sure, God claims to be powerful, but really what could he do in the face of all these obstacles that we see? In the face of the overwhelming force of impossibility, what could he do? Well, we must let this simple arrow of rebuke pierce our hearts. And then we must let the simple answer that we've known crash around, scraping away all of the calluses that have built up through our own unbelief. Could anything be too hard for God to do? Is any word too wondrous for him to say? It's an absurd suggestion, really, isn't it? If he's promised, he will do it. Nothing will stand in his way. So let's think once more about those example promises, how impossible they look, and yet how they might be changed in the hands of a Lord who can do anything. Day by day, you see your sin. You see yourself fail in the same way many times uh, and in many, um, many different circumstances. And for those of us who are seeking to grow up in the Lord, uh, that can be discouraging. But look back five, 10, 20 years Uh, If you've been seeking to walk with him, the Lord will have blessed that. Uh, You will be more like Christ than you were then.
Or uh, if you've not been a Christian for very long, talk to faithful Christians who are older than you, who have been Christians for longer than you, and see how Christ has fulfilled this promise in them. And we know, don't we, that the Lord will bring this good work to completion in the end. Or you feel that your body is perishing, which it is. But we have also seen God raise Jesus Christ from the dead, the first fruits of the resurrection. And that's a real event that happened. Happened in an exact place at an exact time. And if it happened to him, it will happen to you. Or the enemies of God seem to get on all right. The kingdom of God has many enemies. And yet look at how far the gospel has come. Christ promised it would go to the ends of the earth, casting down the gods of the pagan world. And it may surprise you, but we are not in Judea this morning. Our ancestors did not worship the God of Israel. Our ancestors worshipped a whole range of dark gods. And yet here we are on a Sunday morning in Scotland, worshipping Jesus Christ, the true and living God. Nothing is too hard for our Lord to do. And he will do everything that he said he will. So believe it. You can believe it. Now, of course, uh, we need to be careful. Um, we're talking here about the things that God has promised to do. There are plenty of people out there who believe uh, all sorts of things that God hasn't promised to do. They have the wrong expectations. And so let me just say, if you psych yourself up every day thinking, uh, nothing is impossible with God. Uh, I just need to believe really hard. He'll get me a super yacht to sail the Mediterranean uh, in. Then stop. Okay. Of course, these things aren't impossible for God, but uh, just because God can doesn't mean he will. He's not promised that. There are people who have their expectations uh, too high in the wrong places, all messed up, and that can end badly. But expecting too much was not Sarah's problem. And though I don't know many of you very well, I don't imagine it's the problem that we have either. Many more of us in our church circles have probably given up on God ever doing uh, what he's promised. Uh, Given up on him ever doing anything, really. Uh, We've become cynical And we've forgotten just who it is that we belong to. And so let this rebuke to Sarah clear away that rubble. Is anything too hard for the Lord? What a silly idea. Now, why do we need to hear this so much? Why is it so important for uh, us to get this and to plant it deep within our veins? Well, here's one reason. Because we've been called to live as God's people in a world that hates God. In a world that loves to throw up uh, all sorts of obstacles against the work of our king. And we are the king's people. And so that means that the rebels around us hate us. And we belong to the one that they detest. That's what Jesus said exactly uh, to his, his disciples. If the world hates me, they'll hate you too. And so going into the world, as we must do every day, as one of Christ's means staring down the strongholds of the enemy. It means going up against these seemingly insurmountable, uh, insurmountable obstacles. And so being a Christian in a world like this one takes courage, faith-filled courage. Perhaps that's something that's been lost on many Christians in the West for the last few generations. Uh, that antagonism between the kingdom we belong to and the kingdom of darkness Um, it's been less obvious for many for quite a long time. But 
Being a Christian means not being on the side of the world and the world does not like that very much at all. And so being a Christian means being faithfully courageous. And the bedrock of that, the bedrock of uh, faithful courage is believing that God is who he says he is and that he will do uh, what he has said he will do. That his promises will stand and that he is good for them. Faith in that will allow us to live for Christ right into the corners of every circumstance. No matter what situations Christ leads us into. Uh, Listen to these familiar words from the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter 11. There's no need to turn to them. Uh, I'll I'll read them for us. What more shall I say? Do not have time to tell about Gideon and Barak, Samson and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they may gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two, They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. Now there's a huge range of circumstances, tasks, roles in life, earthly experiences, all represented in that list of saints from of old. But all of them, though, lived in a world that said, we can stop your God, and that what he's promised is not going to happen because we've said it won't, so give up. But all of them believed that their God is who he says he is. They'd learnt the lesson from their mother, Sarah. They believed that nothing was too hard for him. And it was that faith that gave them the courage they needed to follow God in everything. In the victories and in the things that looked like they were defeats. Now for some of those men and women, it certainly looked like God had led them to the impossible end of the road. Uh, You believe that faithfulness to the Lord means blessing, Jeremiah? Well, how do you feel about that? Now you're being sawn in two. But at the root of their steadfast devotion to God was the confidence that God could and would move heaven and earth to do absolutely everything that he's promised. The confidence that when God promises something, he is good for it. He will give it. These saints, they'd seen enough to trust in that. And haven't we seen more? What number of human impossibilities are wrapped up in the life and death, resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ? God dwelling with man, impossible. Except it isn't with God. A just God forgiving the sinner? Surely that's impossible. Except not with God. The curse undone. Impossible. Well, is anything too hard for the Lord? Perhaps your Christian life so far has had many opportunities for this faith-filled courage. Perhaps you've taken them. Well, if that's you, then praise God. Praise him that he has given you the confidence to stand for him. Praise him that he has fixed Sarah's lesson firmly in you. But don't stand down yet. 
Remember that you still live in a world that hates your Lord and will do until the end. Perhaps you haven't uh, yet faced a serious test of courage. Well, the time is probably coming. The Lord has prepared good deeds of faith for you to walk in, so prepare yourself now. Dwell on Sarah's lesson. Nothing is too hard for God. He will do all that he said he will. You can count on that. He is worthy of your trust. Well, perhaps the moment is uh, now for you. Perhaps your allegiance to God has put you in the path of real difficulty right now. And the odds seem stacked against you. Perhaps living by the truth will set your family against you or your boss against you or popular opinion against you. Perhaps it doesn't seem likely that walking in the way of the Lord really is the path of eternal life and eternal blessing. Maybe you're starting to forget that nothing is too hard for the Lord and so you're tempted to cynicism, to bitterness and to compromise. Is there any point in standing firm, in standing out? What could God possibly do in the face of all these obstacles? Can he be trusted to do what he said he will do? Well, if that's you, let yourself hear God's rebuke to Sarah once more. Let these hard words to Sarah soften your heart. Why did Sarah laugh? Is anything too hard for the Lord? No, nothing is too hard for the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we confess that so often we are quick to unbelief when we should be quick to believe you and your promises. Lord, uh, where we are doubtful, please convict us and set this truth deep in our hearts. May it be the bedrock of courage for us. And may we go out this week into the world boldly declaring the truth and living by it because we know that your paths are the paths of life and that nothing stands in your way. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.